I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I am so excited to be partnering with Rockets of Awesome, which is one of my favorite places to get kids' clothes. They had a pop-up in New York last year, and we would go and jump in the ball pit and buy clothes, and it was great. And now um, they're offering listeners 20% off of their Rockets of Awesome box, which comes four times a year with like a magical box of clothes that'll come and surprise and delight your kids because what's more fun than opening up a box of clothes? Well, I mean, I guess maybe a box of toys, but anyway, um, Rockets of Awesome is amazing. Go to rocketsofawesome.com slash books and the discount code is books and it will be live August 1st and I hope you enjoy it and I'll be doing the box right along with you. My conversation with Allison Winscotch became honestly just like a talk with a close girlfriend, as many of my podcasts do, but this one was particularly so. So you might feel like you're just eavesdropping on a call between friends, but we did talk a lot about the book too and all the rest. But anyway, Allison is from Charlottesville, Virginia and Seattle. She went to Penn, the University of Pennsylvania with a BA in honors history and concentration in marketing from the Wharton School of Business. She currently lives in LA and is an author. She has written eight novels, the most recent of which is Cleo McDougal Regrets Nothing and some of her books have been optioned for film, which we will talk about in our interview. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. Allison and I just went through 20 minutes of technical issues, and she's been very patient with me, so thank you. You've been patient with me. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? This is difficult to get online. (laughs) So your new book, let's talk about Cleo. Tell listeners what the book is about and what inspired you to write it. So Cleo McDougall is a young, ambitious senator, and she is sort of the anointed one to run for president. And before she does, or before she can, her best friend from high school writes a really scathing personal op-ed about her that goes viral. And she has kept a list of all of her regrets for most of her life, and she is forced to look back and figure out how to make amends, if she can make amends, and if she wants to make amends before she can sort of step forward. So I think that's the synopsis. It stemmed from, you know, I tried really hard. It's not a political book. Like I want to make that clear, but it certainly is a book about being a woman in this particular moment in time, I think, or at least that's what I was aspiring to. I was working on a different one that sort of echoed the same themes and it just wasn't working. And I can't even remember what the lightning bolt was that led me to Cleo, but it just became very clear that I had to set that book aside. And she just, I just, she, I literally woke up one day and I remember I was actually watching Sam Elliott on like, I want to say Jimmy Kimmel and his daughter was named Cleo. And I was like, that's such like a powerful name. And I went to bed that night and I woke up and I was like, this is what you be. And so that's how it started. And I didn't really think it was anything. And I wrote like 50 pages and I sent it to my agent and I was like, I don't really think this is working, but at least it's a diversion from my other book, which really wasn't working. And she's like, no, it's working great. So I just kept going. And that was that. Wow. So you never know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe when you like feel the least connect, you know, devoted to something, that's when like inspiration can really come. I don't know. But I didn't realize until I read the book that her dad is the one who had inspired her to keep this list of regrets and that it was an ongoing list from from when she was much younger prior to her parents passing away, which was 
which I feel like is not a spoiler because it was so early in the book. Yeah, that's okay. And that there were like over 200 regrets. Weren't there like 230 or something like yeah, 233? Well, that's what I wanted it to, I wanted it to sort of be outlandish. Like the notion of somebody actually acquiring, I mean, look, we all have like small regrets. Maybe some of us had bigger regrets, but the notion of really tracking that spoke to sort of the underlying, I mean, not like psychosis, but like who really does that? Like she's very rigid. She's a perfectionist, but she's made all of these both big and small mistakes along the way. And I thought that made her more intriguing as opposed to just like, well, like it's funny, my birthday was the other day and we were out we actually went out to dinner and my son was like, what are your biggest regrets and accomplishments? And I could name like three big regrets, not something like I'm not somebody who looks back, but like, I was like, yeah, I really wish that I had gone abroad in college instead of staying back for my stupid college boyfriend. Like that's, <laughs> that's my, my regret. But the notion of having like 233, like I just, I felt like that made it more interesting. So Totally. I feel like though, if I knew I was keeping a list, like let's say I started one today, probably each week there's something I regret. So if like, right? I mean, like should have gotten on Skype. Totally. Yeah. Some of them are small, should have had cash to tip whomever. And then some of them are bigger, should have gone to Paris instead of staying at college for my stupid boyfriend. Like what did that matter? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I just thought it made it interesting. Like I didn't want it to be like, oh, I have 10 regrets. So that's, where it came from. And I, as I played around with it, I mean, I think I really vacillated. There were like just writing and like 400. And then I was like, that seems outlandish. And this felt like a reasonable, but still a little bit preposterous number. So that's where I ended up. <laughs> yeah. And I know that Cleo wanted to run for president, but as I was reading, I was like, I can't believe she even was, she became a senator. Like, <laughs> I feel I, like there's more of a microscope maybe now, or I don't know, I feel like even getting any sort of elected official position requires such a deep dive into your personal life. For sure. And, you know, obviously this moment in time, a lot of us are more dialed into politics. So I felt like I had a deeper understanding of the scrutiny, but I tried to start out small, like she ran for a congresswoman, where I don't know, like, I don't know that much about my congressman, like I voted for him, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that much about his personal life. So I felt like then it could slowly escalate. And by the time you're on a national scale or stage, I mean, it's bananas. And that's sort of what she experiences. And then of course, she's also a single mom. So there's a whole conflict with her son or not conflict, but how are you a public figure while raising kids? And, you know, how does that affect your relationships with them and everything about that? So, you know, I did speak to some people who have worked with senators, which was interesting. And, you know, I try, it's a, it's fiction, you know, obviously, but I try to at least sort of honor that up ramp of privacy invasion that these people have to experience. So particularly women. Yes. And I thought it was so interesting how you have her campaign manager and her former law school classmate, whose name I'm blanking on, but I feel like it Uh, starts with a G. What's her her name? Gabby. Gabby, right, Gabby. Yeah. So when Gabby tells her like flat out, it's okay for men to make mistakes or to have regrets, but you can't say that. Like, it's just not okay for a woman and just accept it, (laughs) which is how they devise this whole charade is the wrong word, but- Yeah. Plan, plan. It is. It's a bit of like a political stunt, like initially. So, I mean, but I think that's true. And again, it's like, I'm not trying to make it necessarily like a political statement, but I am trying to say like, hey, look at 
the the women who ran for president this year, there was very little latitude given, you know, for any sort of mistake. And I was still seeing it last night on Twitter about some of them. And I was just like, this is just such bullshit. Like all these men have made, you know, huge and which isn't to say that there's something wrong with men making mistakes. Like you can revise your position on something or whatever. That's growth. But women are just not afforded that same thing. And so, you know, I wanted to view it as as Gabby comes around to, it's not a weakness, it's growth. And that's, I mean, you know, I'm in my 40s. I would hope that that is what we can come to, that if we were all doing the same stuff we did in our 20s, like, you know. Yeah. Yikes. Happy to have closed the chapter on a lot of those things. (laughs) I wouldn't mind being a little younger and whatever, but the growth and hopefully emotional and intellectual growth that you come to is something that you can be proud of. And I, you know, I don't think that women, not I don't think, I mean, women just aren't afforded that same luxury. So. Have you ever wanted to be a politician in any way? Oh my God, no. But my son (laughs) does. So that is probably part of the reason that, I mean, that I sort of had this deep dive or maybe that I was so interested in it. No, you know, it's funny. And I've never considered myself like a particularly political person, but I do look out in the world right now. I mean, I would say, you know, prior to a few years ago without, you know, making this political, because again, I hope the book just sort of speaks for itself, but I felt like it was just using politics was sort of a lens with which to view some of the positions that women are in right now. And that is something I've experienced. I mean, I'm sure as you have, like, you know, I was thinking about this recently, like dating back to college. And I remember sitting in, I went to Penn and I was in a Wharton class and we were working on a marketing project. And I, I don't know, it was a group project. And I remember like one of the young men saying to me like, wow, I didn't realize you were smart. And I was just like, like, I don't even know what to do with that, you know, but it was so obviously like it was a male dominated class. There wasn't a lot that they thought I was going to contribute. And so it was, it's like moments of that of reflection where I felt like I wanted to give voice to that through Clio. And I think a lot of women understand that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go? What happened between Penn and now in terms of writing? <laughs> did you always want to write? Like, did you, did you go oh. to college thinking that or tell me oh. when it started? No. No, it's so interesting because I, you know, in high school, like I, I got a lot of feedback from my English teachers, one in particular who was, you know, very encouraging. But, you know, this was in like the 90s, like the internet really wasn't around. Like, how did one become a writer? It was just insane. It didn't even occur to me. So no, I went to Penn. My brother was an investment banker. Like that's sort of what my parents aspired for me, taking nothing away from them. But that's, that was like the path. And it was just so obviously not for me. So I did some PR out of college and I just slowly transitioned to, I was doing like web copy and eventually I transitioned to magazines. And then I got bored with that after many years. Like, you know, you like to reinvent yourself every once in a while. And I wrote a book and it was terrible and it didn't sell, but it was good foundation for figuring out how to actually do what I wanted. And I just kept trying. And I should say at Penn, I was given like a newspaper column. They had like op-eds that you got every other week. And I submitted it in private. Like I didn't want to tell anybody I'd done it at risk of failure. 
a little bit of Cleo in there. Where I was like, oh God, if I don't get it, it's so embarrassing. And I did, and I felt really validated. And I feel like maybe creative types, you just need like that one piece of validation to say, keep going. So like, I know you recently sold a children's book. Like you just, you need something to say, okay, like this isn't preposterous. And eventually, you know, I did rewrite, I wrote a different manuscript that sold and then so on and so forth. And here I am. So Mind you, I've had two novels that have not sold as well. So <laughs> I'm still working on it. I'm still working. I have, I, there are, I have so many, like this book that I was writing before Cleo, half books that, I mean, this Cleo is my eighth book that I have not been able to jumpstart. And I just think, again, like sort of in the themes of the book, like there can be success in that failure too. And that's, that's fine. I think if my first manuscript had been published, it got me an agent, but it didn't sell. I don't think I would have had the longevity because it just wasn't good. And like, that's okay. Like you can write something bad or you can do something bad and it's not the end of the world. So, but that's a learning experience. It was fairly humiliating. (laughs) Well, again. I know, I know, but it's okay. No, I wrote a novel. This is about you, but not about me, but just to like chime in, I wrote a novel after business school and told everyone after school that like, that's what I was doing. And so then everyone I knew was like, how's it going? How's that book? And I'm like, great, great, great. And then it didn't sell. And I literally, it was like the biggest embarrassment because I was like, this is such a, it's probably like one of my first giant failures, you know, right. and and it was I, out of my control. Like I did it, I wrote it, I rewrote it like four times and yet I couldn't sell it. And I was just mortified. Anyway, whatever. I'm over it now. That was a long time ago. I feel like there's growth to be had there. Like, you're like, I, I mean, it just pretty much sucked. But yes, I guess there was some growth. <laughs> I mean, again, like I felt like I had written this first book, that the one that didn't sell. I don't even like know. I can't even remember what it was about now. But I enjoyed it enough. Like I was passionate enough about it that when, like the feedback I got was she's a good writer, but this book is like incoherent, basically. There was enough validation there sort of like with the pen thing where I was like okay well the work still has to go into it and I'm always willing to do the work but and if I do that maybe I have another shot so you know that's what I took from it and sometimes being in the creative field is just continuing to go yes you know you're absolutely right so (laughs) so when you write now what's your process like for the novels like do you have outlines do you have a place you go do you write from home like how do you do it right from home although I haven't been doing very much during this quarantine period I mean you and everybody else so it's okay exactly like I you know what be kind to yourself that's all I can say but I do write from home my dream day is to wake up and immediately start writing because like many writers the actual writing is sort of my like least favorite aspect of it. It's hard for me to sit down and do it. So I find that if I wake up and like, I often like screw around online or I, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. If I don't do that and I just don't give myself an excuse to procrastinate, it's like, it's like working out. Then it's done. And I try to hit like a thousand words a day. And sometimes it's great. And I keep going or I come back to it. And sometimes it's like literally a thousand and one and that's it. And I'm done. But if I do it first thing, it's such a relief to me. Again, it's like working out. It's like not hanging over me all day. So that is the routine, you know, five days a week. And then if you're writing a thousand words a day, I usually can get a little more. It's like a three month first draft. And then, you know, the real work begins with the second draft and 
and all of that. But I really like working with an editor. I'm somebody who I like welcome that constructive criticism to really show me where I'm going wrong. And then I feel like I can always make it better. So that's the process. That's how you do it. <laughs> and I saw that you just sold the film rights. Is that right? Isn't that right? Or film rights to a different book. This one, we're, you know, we're optimistic. We'll see. I sold the film rights for Time of My Life, which was my second book. It sold back when it came out. And then the same producer has never lost her passion for it. And she bought it again for Sony. And I'm so I'm excited. I mean, we'll see. Hollywood is a weird and thick place. <laughs> I haven't gotten to know the process. Mark is my husband's a producer, yeah. like burgeoning, you know, he's, he started in, within the last couple of years. Like it is so slow. I, it's like maddening. It's a miracle that anything gets done, to be honest. I cannot believe any projects get done ever. hundred <laughs> percent. And so that's why I'm like, yeah, I'm excited. But because, you know, like when this first sold, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was much more naive. I'm like a jaded old soul now. And I've had a few other things sell. And it's just really tough to get it out of the starting gate. So we'll see. But I'm hopeful. I mean, she loved it for many years. So we'll see. So you never know. It's meant yeah, to ha- never- Maybe it's meant to happen this way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And we've been in touch and I consider her a friend. And so maybe this time, you know, rom-coms are coming back. And I feel like people need some levity, given that we might be in this situation for a while. So yeah. hopefully. So I don't know how you film these days. So yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Well, I guess we'll all watch and see. (laughs) Podcast. Yeah, there we go. So are you, I know you're not actively working right now, given all the constraints and that's totally fine, but do you have like your next project all picked out or do you, have you started at all or? So I'm working on a few like film things after we just said, I mean, they're, they're more like uh, nothing's going to get made. They're more like with the magazine stuff, I'm interested in sort of trying a new, flexing a new muscle. And I wrote a script with a friend of mine. We adapted my last book, Between Me and You. And he's a very accomplished screenwriter. So I learned so much in working with him. So we're sort of fiddling around with that and trying a variety of things. I feel like I'm actually, for the first time in my life, I'm sort of interested in writing a sequel to this book. I feel like there's so many places it could go. And I really loved her son who, I, you have teenagers, I think. So I do. It, yeah. So I have two teens. So I would love to sort of get back into him. But I just, how much mental energy do people have now? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, God bless these people who are still cranking out projects, but it's tough, it right? Is, it I don't, is tough. Yes. I felt so motivated at the beginning. Like I have to help. I have to help. Like I felt like the world was coming to an end and everything I did was like critical and important. And and I'm feeling much less like that these days (laughs) as the emails like pile up and I'm like, ah. So I I schedule like one thing a day and I'm like, that is the max that I can do. Like my daughter had an allergy shot today and I'm like, I can't do it. It's two things. Like (laughs) I can only do so much in a day. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like you wake up and suddenly it's five o'clock and I don't know, maybe being like working would, I mean, on something creative would pass the time faster, but things are already, you know, it's like the middle of June. I don't know what's happening. So it's actually, no, it's almost the end of June. So insane. we'll see. I, 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 you know, hopefully this sort of resolves itself as much as it can. And then I'll start working on something else. I like to take sort of a break. I feel like it's like giving birth. Like you don't turn around and get pregnant right away because you need to heal. 
Yes. So, so we're all healing. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do so. you have any advice to aspiring authors? Sure. The one thing that I often say is take your ego out of it. it. You know, and it sort of gets back to what you and I were talking about. Like constructive criticism is the best thing that you can get for yourself. Like you think your draft is done because you finished a word count. And, you know, again, this is my eighth book. I probably go through seven revisions and like an editor or a, you know, a feedback reader is only there to help you and taking things personally or, you know, immediately shooting down ideas is, I just don't think that's the way to expand your craft. So just be open to becoming a better writer. And again, it's still like an on-ramp for people who have published a lot. So that's really you know, the best advice I have, embrace criticism. And also I would say always go another draft or two, even when you think it's done. <laughs> it's trust. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. I'm, like, I'm done. And then, you know what? I'm not done because there are ways that it can be better. And I do feel like we've all sort of read those books that maybe could have used another draft or two. And then they would have been like incredible instead of just good. And that could speak, you know, I'm sure people have read my stuff and felt that way, but that's, you know, you want to put out your best work. So that's what I would say. Excellent advice. <laughs> Probably true with a lot of things in life, you know? Probably. <laughs> yeah. So. That's the big secret. This show actually is not about books. It's actually about right. life, but I just, you know, hide it behind books and authors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, like, just trying to show my husband how to do the dishwasher. I'm not trying to be critical. <laughs> Why is he getting so mad? Oh, oh too that's funny. a quarantine thing. Yeah. <laughs> it will. One, I mean, I was going to say this too shall pass, but maybe it won't. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. I'll be talking to you in, like like this in the next yeah. two years for yeah. my next book. Oh, like, God, don't even say can that. you imagine if I was like still? Anyway, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for coming on Mom's Time Time Treat. Oh my gosh, thank, thank you, you for the commiseration and all the rest. See you either in New York or in California one day. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, that would be great. But you know what? It's summer. We're lucky. We yes. can work from home and our kids can go outside and we're healthy. Yes. There's so right? much to be grateful for. Yes. And I am. We're, but it's, sometimes it's fun just to. Oh, no. (laughs) To vent, essentially, is basically what I've turned this podcast into. Yeah, no, you know, yes. We were, I was going to go like sit in somebody's driveway for a drink for all of our birthdays. And they were like, should we bring our husbands? And we were like, do we not see them 24 hours a day? (laughs) Can we not just sit by ourselves? You know. I know I had a girlfriend come over, like to sit outside and chit chat or whatever. And she was like, I feel so bad interrupting. You guys don't have the kids this weekend because I'm divorced and remarried. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. We've been hanging out like nonstop for what, 14 weeks now or something? So it's okay. I mean, I'm I'm happy. It's just, you know, a friend, an infusion of a new person is a nice thing too. No, that's right. And like, we usually, we've been obviously cooking most dinners and like every night my husband's like, don't you guys want to sit with us? And my kids are like, "Uh, no. And like, you're like, (laughs) like we have had enough. So that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) well, great chatting with you. Thanks for taking the time. Sorry again about our introduction via technology issues. Good. Okay. I'm going to go get my daughter from the beach.
Awesome. Okay. That's my second thing I'm doing today. <laughs> <laughs> then you're done. You're out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bye, Zuby. Okay. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Rockets of Awesome for giving us a discount of 20% off your four times a year boxes. Uh, Rocketsofawesome.com slash books and discount code books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.